Go ahead and open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 20. We're going to start reading at verse 13, and actually this morning I'm going to read all the way through verse 38. Acts 20. Let's go ahead and stand up for the reading of God's Word. Acts 20, starting at verse 13. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assus, intending to take Paul aboard there, for he, so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. When he met us at Assus, he, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Caius, and the next day we touched at Samus. The day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified." I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. 
reading of God's Word. Go ahead and be seated. As we gather around this portion of the book of Acts, I want us to feel the weightiness of it. I want us to feel the weightiness of eldership. If you are an elder at Alden Union Church, these words need to strike your heart. As they come from Paul the Apostle directly to a group of elders that he called to himself to tell them these very things. As, they, as, as these words are given to us from the Spirit of God through his chosen author to the elders. Telling us of the costs, the tasks, and the responsibility of eldership. And these words that we have read are useful for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every work. And I can speak for myself. I know that I continue to be on the road of sanctification, and I have not gotten there yet. I have not reached that point of perfection until the day of Jesus Christ. And so I need to be open to hearing the words of what God has told me through this passage. As elders, we need to allow ourselves to be reproved, corrected, taught, and trained. From what we see in this passage, if being an elder has been easy, you aren't being an elder. Perhaps one day, you young men, You'll be called to become elders as you walk with Christ, as you become the leaders of your own households, and you become leaders in the church. If you aspire to this, Paul says you aspire to a very good thing, and it it is a good thing, a noble task. It is a necessary thing in order for the church body to function, to be spiritually protected, to have the elders watching out for the spiritual health of the flock. So begin to prepare your hearts even now. Because eldership is not something we should just fall into. But something we should be prepared for. But this isn't just for the current elders, and this isn't just for the young men of the church to think about. We should all feel the weight of these words. Because these concepts are not for elders alone. Paul exemplified these things for the elders of Ephesus that they might exemplify these things for their flock. That they too would walk in these ways. It's a way of of, of a, a living, a vibrant walk with Christ. That comes from a complete understanding of just what has been done for us every single one of us who is trusted in the name of Christ, what has been done for us at the cross and in his resurrection. And as members of this body, we we need to understand that as easy as it is to tear down an elder, sometimes it can be pretty easy, can't it? We We are pretty fallible. Let's walk with one another in a compassionate understanding. 
for these men. These men are those who will have to stand before God and give an answer for how they led this church body. Ephesians 13, 17, it says, For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. One day, your elders will have to stand before God and explain themselves. They will have to give an account for how they led this church. Elders, hear me clearly. We will have to give an account for how we led this body in Alden, protected them, cared for them, guarded them, loved them. Let's enter into this very prayerfully. Pray with me. Lord God, we take your word right now today. And Lord, while we should always take it in seriously and with the utmost reverence for what it is, the words of the very God, Lord, we feel an extra weight from this passage you have given to us through Paul. And Lord, we just pray that you would affect our hearts, that we wouldn't be able to leave here the same as we walked in. But Lord, we pray that your word would be effective for what it's, you, you have sent it for, that we would become more mature in Christ. And Lord, this church would be strengthened, not in our own ways, not according to our own will, but aligned with you and with the way you would have us walk. Lord, we give to you our body, this body, for it is not ours but it is yours. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. This passage flows from 13 through 38, and, uh, but because there's so much in this passage, we're going to be taking this over, over the course of several weeks. The, the first part here, it begins with a travel narrative. It's pretty simple, from 13 to to, to 16, going on ahead to the ship. We set sail for Assis, and, and they, Luke explains to us all the places they stopped at. And, and in that first few verses there, Luke mentions Paul's desire to get on to Jerusalem in verse 16. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. And that statement seems like a bit of a side note right now, but we, we'll examine the impact of that a little later. At verse 17, we read, now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and called the elders of the church to come to him. Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. This is a little bit different than what he did in, in verse 1 of this same chapter when he sent to the disciples to have them come and, and meet him. He didn't just send for them. He sent and called them. He sent and summoned them. What Paul has to say to the elders here is significant for them to hear. So Paul sends a personal request that they would come and meet with him. This is not so much an invitation as it is an injunction. Come. You need to hear this. Because he wants those elders to learn from and to replicate his example. Verse 18, and when they came to him, he said to them, 
You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. He says, you know, you yourselves know experientially, empirically, uh, you've seen me do it. Verse 35, he repeats the same concept in all these things. I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it's better to give than to receive. What we see Paul doing, what we hear him saying about how he lived, sets the elder standard. Paul set the example for them so that they might know what it, what it means to be an elder, what it means to serve the Lord, to not shrink back, to teach everywhere, to testify to everyone, to be obedient to the Spirit. Because their real value is found in Christ and in his call upon their lives. And as I was studying this and, and working it out, how, how to preach it and everything, I, I, at first I was going to do this whole passage in one shot, and then it became two parts. And as I was going through it this week, I, it's just loaded. It's thicker and it's denser than what I was even expecting, having read it how many times I don't even know. I mean, those five things I just went through, uh, that's just looking through verse 24. And today we're going to be looking at just the first of these, to serve the Lord. Elders of Alden Union Church, we are called to serve the Lord. Paul says in verse 19 that he was serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. He was serving the Lord. That word, that, that, that word for serving comes from the Greek word doulos. He was serving as a bond servant. That's a nice way in our American English today of saying he was serving the Lord as a slave. Paul found himself serving God as one who had given up his right to live for himself. A slave. A slave? Why would somebody want to be someone else's slave? Right? Slavery is bad. It doesn't make any sense in our culture, does it? We live in America, the land of independence. We have abolished slavery, right? From a postmodern humanistic perspective, it, it doesn't make any sense at all, really. Why would we want to give up our right to our own lives, to live them the way we would want to, for us to say what is right, for us to be able to say what is wrong? Why would we allow someone else to dictate where we go and what we do? And yet, time and again, Paul 
references to his slave status before God. In Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul introduces himself as a doulos, a slave of Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, he again gives the same introduction and he brings in Timothy with him. We are slaves of Jesus Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 19 and 20, Paul reminds us that we are not our own, but we have been bought with a price. Who gets bought but a slave? And Paul says, you and I, we aren't our own. We've been purchased. Effectively, he's putting us in the same category as himself. Slaves of God. In the Hebraic culture, Jewish slaves were generally debtors who were trying to pay back what they owed. And according to the law, slaves were to be released in the seventh year of their service. They were to be set free, no longer having to be slaves, their debt having been effectively paid for. But if you look in the Old Testament at Exodus chapter 21, verses 5 and 6, we get to read that if the slave who is paying off his debt, who was serving in the household, plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. A man or a woman could give themselves to their master completely if the person realized how good it was to live and remain in their master's house if they found that they loved their master because he dealt lovingly with them, providing well for them, they would declare their love for him. And their master would then drive a nail, drive an awl through their ear and into the door or doorpost of the house, declaring that this slave would remain a part of that household forever. And in doing so, the slave would remain then under the protection, the care, and the provision of that household forever. To live as slaves, to give our lives in dedication to someone else in our day and age doesn't make much sense. But if we look at it and we realize this is a picture for us, isn't it? we look at it and we realize that this slavery is one that is rooted in love. If we look at it and we realize just who our master is and how lovingly and graciously he has provided for us. My master is the God of all creation who knit me together in my mother's womb, who gave me my very life and then gave me life again when I didn't deserve it, when I was using the life he had given me against him. 
He sent his son to die for me. How gracious, how loving is my master. I love my master. The language sounds odd to us, doesn't it? But Paul saw and understood the value of his life in Christ. Because of the life that he had come from, he knew that the life God had given him in the first place, when he had knit him together in his mother's womb, he used that life to persecute the church, to separate families, to commit murder. As a leader of the church today, he'd be raked across the coals, wouldn't he? What did you do as a teenager? Oh, I killed people. He knew full well he deserved nothing because of the life he had come from. He knew full well the grace and the mercy and the love of God for him in Christ Jesus. He he understood that there was no deserves. His salvation was not from any good that he had done. And Paul was overwhelmed by the love of his master. He was overwhelmed by the love of God for him. And having been first loved by God, he loved Jesus. Plainly declaring his love for Christ over and again, even as we see it in Scripture, Paul became a slave of God forever. Willing to commit himself to the will of God out of a love for God because he knew how good it is to be a servant of the Almighty God who created and saved him. Paul served the Lord with everything that he was, everything that he is. Paul set the example for us. What do we love? Think about it. What do you love? We we declare our love for whatever it might be by what we do. How we spend our time, how we spend our money, the, the, the words that come out of our mouths as well. What do we love? Where do we spend our time? Where do we spend our money? What do we talk about regularly? Whatever it is that we love, we become slaves to. As Scripture says, we are slaves either to righteousness or to sin, one or the other. Whatever we love, we seek it out, we long for it, we do anything to get it, we love it. Do we love this life? Do we love the things of this world? Do we love heaven? The idea of going to this this place of peace in all of its perfection? Do we love the idea of living forever? Eating a feast and not gaining weight? Amen? Or do we love our Savior? Do we love what he's given to us? Do we love what we can gain from him? 
or do we love him? There is a difference between those. As John Piper said in his book entitled, God is the Gospel, could we be satisfied with heaven, all of its goodness, if Christ wasn't there? Would we be content with peace and provision in the absence of Christ? Or given all the peace in the world, given all the provision in the world, would we miss him? Who or what do we live for? Have we made ourselves servants of our Savior? Are we devoted to, the, to Christ or to the stuff of Christ? Scripture describes the status of a servant as one who is devoted to the needs and desires of their master, who puts their, their master's will before their own. Luke chapter 17, verses 7 through 10, it says, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping his sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly? And serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you've done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. A servant, a slave, prioritizes the will of their master. It's the nature of the position, isn't it? And the slave who is a slave in the house forever is one who has willingly given that up, having seen the love of their master for them, having understood the love of God for us. And this is the bondservant service that Paul exemplified for those Ephesian elders, that they might exemplify it then for their own flock. A service that prioritizes the agenda and will of the Lord our God. A complete devotion to Christ and the gospel call out of a love for Christ himself. Paul served God with all humility says he was serving the Lord with all humility. Having heard what we are called to, to serve the Lord, are we willing to do that with all humility? What is humility? Humility is a proper and accurate assessment of who we are. All of our gifts, all of our abilities, all of our talents, all of our skills, it's good to know who God has made you. It's okay to know you're good at something. Couple that with the desire to use those things not for our own glory, not for our own gain, not for ourselves, but for the glory of God and for the sake of others. That's humility. Couple a, 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 a real knowledge of who you are and what you can do with a giving up of ourselves so that Christ can be seen in us and others, our, our church family, can then prosper because of who God has made us, how he has gifted us. 
Using our gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. Are you a great teacher? Good. Know it. Use it. That not for your own glory, but that others would be able to grow into maturity in Jesus Christ. Are you a great encourager? Know it and use it. Are you a great cook by all means? Know it and use it. Paul set an example of humility in service. Taking all the gifts he had, all of his abilities, and giving them for the sake of the gospel call. But his example came first from Christ himself, didn't it? Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus knew who he was. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And how often do we read those words and say, that is Christ, and we let it roll right off our backs, forgetting that that's Christ's example for us that we would have that mind amongst ourselves. As, as we serve one another, let's remember our servant Savior. If our God could come with such humility, and we are his children, the apple shouldn't fall too far from the tree, should it? Yes, elders, this might mean giving up a session of golf once a month. It might mean staying around here and not leaving for the great summer exodus to the shore quite as often. Or whatever it might be that you spend your time on. We all need time for these things, don't we? We all need those breaks and vacations. But these things shouldn't be our priority. They should be a means of re-energizing ourselves and preparing us to get back into the game. Giving up just that one session of golf, or, or giving up watching the Dodgers lose the World Series. Could free up hours of time, couldn't it? Wasted hours. Hours of time that could be used to call your sheep, to talk with them, to find out what's going on in their lives, to love them, to care for them. But this requires making others a priority, just as Christ made you a priority. As we love others with humility, as we serve God by opening our lives and hearts to other people, sometimes it will result in tears as he was serving the Lord with all humility and with tears. Sometimes the tears will flow. They should flow as we let people into our hearts and people let them let us into their hearts as well, sharing their hurts, sharing their trials, sharing their hardships and their burdens. And, and we find ourselves crying for them right along with them. Or as we pray for them in tears, earnestly bringing them before the throne of God, spending time concerned for them. 
talking with God about it. Other times when we allow other people to become a part of who we are and share life with us, we open ourselves up to hurt, to be talked about and personally attacked. He served the Lord with all humility, with tears and trials, didn't he? Maybe that's why it's so hard to do it. All I can say is that as hard as it is to do it, we need to remember what we ourselves did to Jesus. The mocking, the spite, the hatred. And he kept going to the cross for us. For our sin. The nails didn't hold him there. His love for us kept him on the cross. As elders of Alden Union Church, is our love for our sheep that God has given us conditional or convenient? I will love those sheep if they don't bite. Elders, sheep bite. The risk we elders need to take to to step up for the sake of building up the body of Christ. The risk we take as bondservants of God in Christ Jesus, following the example of Paul, following the example of our Savior Jesus Christ, out of a love for him, recognizing what he has done for us. And does this kind of love seem like this kind of devotion, this desire to become a slave of God forever, does this sound like it goes too far? Did Jesus go too far for you and for me? If Jesus could take a crown of thorns on his brow, lashes on his back, and nails in his hands and feet, all the agony of death on a cross, not because he deserved it, but in my place, I I think I can take an all in my ear. I think I can take a brief moment of pain because I tell you what, the 90-some years we might have on this earth, it's brief. It's a flash in the pan compared to eternity, isn't it? I think I can take a brief moment of pain and the trials of this world to be his servant, to declare my love for him plainly and clearly committing to his house forever loving him with all my heart all my soul and all my mind the greatest commandment right declaring it for everybody to hear let's pray father god we praise you for the immensity the richness the infinite eternal reality of the love that you've given to us in your son jesus christ Lord, I pray that that wouldn't just be words that fall on our, our minds and fall out of our mouths and we just nonchalantly speak them. But Lord, help us to, to understand fully by your Holy Spirit, as fully as we can, what that means for us. Lord, I pray that you would be with the elders here at Alden Union, that we would understand just what you've given for us, that we would give to you all that we are that you would be glorified, that you would be honored, you would be high and lifted up here in this place. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.